be looking at verses 28 and 29. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Since these verses belong to a larger paragraph, we're going to pick it up in verse 24 for our reading so that we'll have the whole context in view. What we're going to say this morning flows right out of the things that we considered last week. Uh, so we want to keep this whole, the whole context in view as we consider this text. Uh, and let's do that together now. Would you follow along with me as we read from God's Word? This is what the Holy Spirit says to the church, beginning in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of the Lord given to us for our good. Let's pray now and ask God to give us grace as we consider His Word. Let's pray. Father, thank You for speaking very clearly to us in the Bible. As we heard from Psalm 19 and as we have even sung together, Father, in in song, there is Uh, No firmer foundation for our faith than the Word of God. Your Word is inspired. It is without error. It is for our good. It reveals to us who You are. It speaks truth, Father. It does a work in the human heart that we could never do on our own. It is the means by which the Holy Spirit works in the church to conform us to the image of Christ and to bring glory to God's name. Father, we are grateful to sit underneath Your Word and listen to what it is that You have said. Lord, please help us to receive Your Word with humble hearts that are willing to repent where we need to repent, where we are willing and ready to obey, Father, where Your Word calls us to obey, and in all things, God, where we are ready and willing uh, to trust what You have said. Lord, please give me grace to speak things that are true and faithful and accurate to the Scriptures. And would You work among us even now, God, even today, to add another layer of grace and growth here in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that gathers at Midtown Baptist. Lord, please help us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're a Christian this morning, I'd like to ask you to consider a question. Do you think of yourself as a minister of the Gospel? That is, do you consider your calling as a Christian to be making disciples of Christ through the clear teachings of Scripture. If you're a Christian this morning, do you think of yourself as a minister of the Gospel? For many folks, their first answer would probably be no. We've unfortunately equated the ministry of the Gospel with things like the pastoral office or missionary service. And since the vast majority of Christians are neither pastors nor missionaries, most people simply tune out when they hear the phrase, the ministry of the gospel. They tune out because they assume that the conversation has nothing to do with them. 
And yet, when you read the New Testament closely, you find a much different approach to what we call gospel ministry. According to the New Testament, each and every Christian has been entrusted with the gospel. And therefore, each and every Christian should be considered a minister of the gospel. Now, that's not to deny the calling to pastoral ministry or missionary service that does definitely exist within the church, but that is to say that we must not limit the ministry of the gospel to those things. The New Testament is very clear on this, friends. It's strikingly clear, actually. God certainly calls men to serve as pastors and teachers in the church, but do you know what their pastoral job actually is? Do you know what my job description is? Mine and Greg's and Daniel's job description? It's to equip you for the work of the ministry. That's our calling, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So who's carrying out the gospel work? Not a supposed class of ministry professionals, but saints, the saints as a whole. Each and every member of the body of Christ. If you belong to Jesus today, if you're repenting of your sins and trusting in Him alone for salvation, that's what it means to be a Christian. If you're a Christian this morning, then you are in a real sense entrusted with the Gospel for the work of ministry. Friends, our passage this morning has much to say on this calling to be a minister of the Gospel. You may recall from last week that Paul has been describing his own ministry as an apostle. How he shared in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the church and how he devoted himself to making the Word of God fully known. That was Paul's entire aim in life. To declare the riches of God's glorious mystery which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. It was that union with Christ even through the Gospel that kept Paul going through all of his Hardships. So for the last few verses, we just read it starting in verse 24. For the last few verses, Paul has been describing for the Colossians his own work as a minister of the gospel. In verse 28, however, Paul makes a small but significant shift. He includes the Colossians in the work. Did you hear it when we read? Look, look again at verse 28 and notice Paul's language. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Friends, that's a clear description of gospel ministry. And did you catch who's doing it? We, Paul says. Paul and the Colossians. Now, some commentators hold that when Paul says we, he has only himself and his co-workers in view. In other words, the we of verse 28 should be limited to Paul's apostolic band of missionaries. That's what some commentators would say. And I certainly think that Paul is talking about himself and his co-workers, but I contend that he's not limiting it to his co-workers. And here's why. If you read ahead in chapter 3, you'll find that when Paul begins to instruct the Colossians on the ministry that they're to do to one another, he uses the same language that we find here in verse 28. It's the exact same phrase. Admonishing and teaching one another with all wisdom. It, it's, very, uh, it's very clear. It's very striking. Chapter 3, verse 16, and chapter 1, verse 28, share a common language. It's the language of ministry. From that connection then, I take it that when Paul says we here, he's describing not only his ministry, but also the ministry that the church as a whole should pursue together. 
In fact, I would say that's part of the real value of this passage. Contending for the gospel, ministering the gospel, building up the church in the gospel. Who's responsible to do that? Not only Paul, not only pastors and teachers, but we, the body of Christ, together. Perhaps, friends, this was part of the problem in the church at Colossae. We know that the Colossians were struggling against false teachers, and perhaps it's because they had lost sight of their calling to carry out the work of gospel ministry. Perhaps that's how the false teachers had gotten a foothold, is that they had simply let their guard down altogether. Whatever the case is, Paul resets the expectation for ministry here in verses 28 and 29. And as he describes his own ministry, Paul includes this short description of the work that we all together are called to do as ministers of the gospel. Specifically, Paul gives us three features of what we could call Christ-exalting ministry. Three features. The message we proclaim. The goal we pursue. And the reality we embrace. Let's consider each of those features together, beginning with the message we proclaim. Right away in verse 28, you can see the essential role that the church plays in God's plan. The first phrase of verse 28 is very clear. What is the church's mission? To proclaim Christ. Him we proclaim, Paul says. There's no denying then that the church is a speaking people. The church is a speaking people. You may have heard someone say before, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And while that sounds pithy, it's foreign to the Bible and not a little bit ridiculous. A message cannot proclaim itself. It must be spoken by someone. And in the plan of God, that someone is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, at the core of our identity, we are a people called to speak. Whether it's in the gathering of the church or in the course of daily life, we are called to speak. Whether it's a word of encouragement to a fellow believer or an explanation to an unbeliever, we are called to speak. Whether it's in our neighborhoods or in the public square or halfway around the world, we are called to speak. Paul's teaching in verse 28 is crystal clear. We are called to proclaim, reminding us that we are at our core a speaking people. A people with a message. Even so, this emphasis on speaking does raise the question, what exactly is the content of our message? What's the content that we're supposed to be declaring? Well, you notice again in verse 28 that Paul gives a clear answer. He says, Him we proclaim. Christ is the content of our message. Christ is the one of whom we speak. And what I so love about this passage is that Paul has already filled in for us who this Him is. Paul has already given us the truths about Christ that we're called to proclaim. Think about it, friends. This entire first chapter has been about the person and work of Christ, has it not? The whole chapter. So if we just go back through chapter 1, we find an excellent summary of what we're called to proclaim about Jesus Christ. Just consider these points only from Colossians chapter 1 and consider how they clarify and crystallize the content of our message. 
We're called to proclaim Christ's divinity. Verse 13, Jesus is God's own beloved Son. And verse 19, in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. When we speak of Christ, we speak of His divinity, that He is fully God. At the same time, we are also called to proclaim Christ's humanity. Verse 22, Jesus came to this earth with a body of flesh so that He was like us in every way, yet without sin. And verse 20, that body of flesh enabled Jesus to shed His own blood at the cross. When we speak of Christ, we speak of His humanity, that He is fully man. We are called to proclaim Christ's uniqueness. Verse 15, Christ alone is the image of the invisible God. No one has ever seen God. But when the Son of God took on flesh, He revealed to humanity what the Father is like. And this is a work that only Christ could do because Christ alone is the Son. When we speak of Christ, we speak of His uniqueness, that He alone reveals the Father. With that uniqueness, we're also called to proclaim Christ's authority. Verse 16, Christ is the Creator of all things in heaven and on earth, which means He rules everything for the glory of God. Our mission is to tell the world that Jesus is the King, that He is sovereign, and then to call people to submit their lives to Him in faith. When we speak of Christ, we speak of His authority, that He rules over all things. This unique authority also means we're called to proclaim Christ's exclusivity. Verse 14, since Christ alone is the image of the invisible God, redemption is found only in Him. He alone is able to forgive sins since He alone provides the perfection that God demands while at the same time serving as the substitute we need. When we speak of Christ, we must speak of His exclusivity that He alone can save. We're called to proclaim Christ's atonement. Verse 21, Christ makes peace through the shedding of His blood. And verse 22, the result of that is that sinners are reconciled to God once and for all. What's more, Christ's blood is so powerful that it makes those sinners holy and blameless and above reproach in God's sight. When we speak of Christ, we speak of His atoning blood. We are then called to proclaim Christ's resurrection. Verse 18, Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. His resurrection is the guarantee of resurrection for those who believe. Indeed, our resurrection is in Him. So that as He lives, we who believe live now in Him, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, Paul says. When we speak of Christ, we speak of His life-giving resurrection. And therefore, we are called to proclaim Christ's worthiness. Verse 18, in everything, Christ deserves to be preeminent. He is exalted and supreme. So that verse 23, the right response to Christ is one of faith leading to worship. The worship of Christ by faith is not an afterthought to the Gospel, but essential to the Gospel. When we speak of Christ, we speak of His worthiness. That He deserves all blessing and honor and glory. Him we proclaim, Paul says. And this one chapter of the Bible tells us exactly what we must say. Christ's divinity and His humanity. His uniqueness his authority, and therefore His exclusivity, His atonement and resurrection, and finally His worthiness to be trusted and worshipped as the Lord of all. This is our message, brothers and sisters. This is what we have been tasked with God 
to tell the world. Central to our identity is this Christ-centered, biblically-rooted gospel proclamation. This is the good news. And at this point, as we've emphasized our Christ-centered message, many of us are probably still thinking about preaching sermons or sharing the gospel in evangelistic missionary settings. As I went through that list, I'm sure that's what many of us were probably still thinking about. We're just hardwired. When we think ministry, we're just hardwired to think the stuff that happens publicly, disseminating the message. And that's certainly included in the ministry of proclamation. I want to be clear on this. In God's providence, He does call men to devote their lives to the preaching of the Gospel in the gathering of the church. And in His providence, God does call brothers and sisters to leave their homes and go to the far reaches of the globe to proclaim the good news of Christ. Those kinds of ministry are certainly included in verse 28. And listen, our lives should be marked by a willingness to consider that God could very well call us to do such a work. Perhaps there are some among us today whom God will call to go. Not every Christian goes, but every Christian should be willing to consider that God could be calling me to go. And perhaps our church will have the wonderful privilege of sending out brothers and sisters who have been equipped and discipled and prepared here in the confines of our own body to see them sent out to proclaim Christ in places where He has not been named. So before I go to this next section, I want you to hear me that we should be willing to consider that God very well could call us to do such a work. Every Christian should have that willingness and we should be prayerfully asking that God would indeed raise up workers among us for that kind of gospel ministry. And at the same time, the rest of verse 28 makes it clear that Paul is not speaking exclusively about sermons or evangelistic missionary endeavors. He's also thinking about the work that happens in the everyday life of the church. Notice the next phrase in verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Friends, those two activities, warning, or we could say admonishing, Warning and teaching, those two activities constitute the ministry of proclamation within the life of the church. This is the work that we're all called to do. To warn someone is to admonish and counsel them to turn from the way they are going. Because of the truth about Christ, we warn one another about the dangers of sin. We warn one another about the dangers of unbelief. We plead with one another and exhort each other and urge one another to live in step with the gospel. That's the ministry of proclamation. Don't go that way, brother. It leads to death. And that warning is then followed by teaching, where we instruct one another on a better way to live, where we remind one another what it means to live with Christ as Lord. You see, warning and teaching must always go together. You see how they're linked here in this verse? Because they must always go together. If all we do is admonish and never teach, we're likely to discourage or harden the hearts of those people to whom we minister. 
If all we do is warn, but never then follow it up with teaching, at best we'll discourage folks. At worst, we'll harden their hearts. But when our warning is combined with teaching, then the sting of correction is followed by the insight that leads to growth. Friends, that's why Paul includes that little phrase, with all wisdom. Did you see that there? Warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. To be a minister of the gospel means we think carefully about who we're talking to, what circumstances they face, and what specific truth they need to hear at that moment. Do they need to be reminded of Christ's divinity, that Jesus is fully God, and therefore He is surely able to meet whatever it is that is causing them anxiety? Do they need to be reminded of Jesus' authority, that He has the right to command His church, and therefore obeying the Bible is a non-negotiable? Do they need to be reminded of Jesus' authority? Or do they need to be reminded again of Christ's atonement? That Jesus bore the wrath for every sin that every believer has ever committed, including the very sin that has your brother or sister tied up in knots with conviction at that moment. You see, you listen and then you speak. That's what it means to proclaim with all wisdom. You listen first and then you prayerfully consider what aspect of the Gospel that they need to hear at that moment. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to ministry. The non-negotiable is the gospel truth of Christ, but the application of that truth requires wisdom. Friends, what I'm trying to get us to see here is that there's both a broad and a narrow approach to ministry, and those two approaches require the participation of every member of Christ's body. There's a broad and a narrow approach. To proclaim Christ certainly includes widespread public declaration, but it also includes the day-in, day-out life and ministry of the church. We proclaim Christ to the world, and we proclaim Christ to one another, doing each with faithfulness and with wisdom. There's a broad and a narrow work of ministry. And this is the message that we proclaim. It's the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As we come to the end of verse 28, Paul gives us the second feature of a Christ-exalting ministry. We just saw the message we proclaim, and here at the end of verse 28, we see the goal we pursue. That's the second feature, the goal we pursue. Notice again what the Apostle writes, the end of the verse, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Friends, I would contend with you that this is a very countercultural statement from the Apostle Paul. And I mean countercultural even within the church. The goal of gospel ministry is not numerical growth or cultural prestige. The goal of gospel ministry is not even relevance or impact. The goal of gospel ministry is maturity in Christ. When we speak the gospel, we do so so that each member of Christ's body grows up, so to speak, in the faith. So that they grow up. But even as we consider this maturity in Christ, we need to understand that Paul is not thinking simply about spiritual growth in the present. Paul is also thinking about maturity that prepares us for the final judgment, even. 
That's, that's really the key to this phrase. When Paul says, present everyone mature, you should ask yourself, present them before whom? And the answer is God. Presented before God on the final day. You see, at its most basic level, our ministry to one another is aimed at what we call the perseverance of the saints. It's helpful to remember, friends, that salvation is a past, a present, and a future reality. In His grace, God has saved His people once and for all from the consequences of sin. It's a past work that cannot change. God is saving His people day by day from the dominion of sin. It's a present work that is ongoing. And God will save His people on the last day from the presence, the final indwelling of sin. It's a future work that will be completed when Jesus returns. Past, present, and future, God saves His people. Paul's point here in verse 28 is that our ministry to one another is part of God's work of bringing about that final future salvation. Let me say that again. Paul's point in verse 28 is that our ministry to one another is part of God's plan. It's part of God's work to bring about that sense of salvation in the final future aspect. As the Word of God is proclaimed within the church, God in His grace keeps His people trusting in Christ. Our ministry of the Word today is God's means of grace for the future. God will certainly keep you, if you belong to Him by faith, God will certainly keep you safe in His grace until the last day when Jesus comes back. How is He going to keep you safe? Through our ministry of the Word to one another. Through our work together, God is working. That's the perseverance of the saints. That's how God keeps us and protects us by His grace. He does it through the ministry that each of us are called to do with one another. Brothers and sisters, do you see what a high and important calling each Christian has received as a member of Christ's body? I was talking with one of our members this week and I we were just you know going back and forth about the passage and we said very starkly in in a sense my salvation is your responsibility and your salvation is my responsibility under god obviously but the work that we're called to do with one another do you see what a high and important calling each christian has received as a member of christ's body we have been tasked with ministering to one another in the light of the last day We have been called to be God's instruments of grace among His people. And there's no higher ministry than this. Many times, I have had Christians come and say to me, I'll never be able to do significant ministry for the Lord, but I'm glad that you do. And they'll say, I'll never be able to do significant ministry because I don't preach and I'm not an upfront person and I'll never do anything important in ministry, but I'm glad that other people can. Friends, that mindset is shaped more by the culture than it is by the Bible. Right here in verse 28, we see that every Christian is engaged in the most important ministry of all, being instruments of grace and truth that God uses to preserve His people for the last day. There's nothing more significant than this. Let's not mistake visibility for significance. Gathering with the church 
so that God's Word is preached, encouraging brothers and sisters with Scripture, sharing Christ with neighbors and co-workers and family, discipling a new believer in God's Word. These are all means through which God is working to mature His people to keep them for that great and final day. These are all ministries of the Word, in other words, that you and I are doing together. I hope this is changing our perspective on what it means to do the work of ministry. I hope this is helping us to see the important role that each member of the body plays in the work of the Gospel. The work can't be done without all of us together. There's one more thing here I want you to see about this maturity in Christ. One more piece that I hope will encourage you and, and just compel us out to do this work. Look back at verse 22, actually. I know we're in 28 and 29, but look back at verse 22. And notice how Paul uses very similar language as he does here in verse 28. Paul is speaking in verse 22 about the work of Christ. And listen again to what he says. Christ has now reconciled you in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. So, did you, you, did you hear the similarity between the two verses? Why has Christ reconciled His people? In order to present them blameless before God. Why are we called to minister to one another? In order to present, same word, in order to present everyone mature in Christ. You see, friends, this, there's just a staggering connection going on. The grace of Christ that's being poured out in the cross, where is that working out right now? in the ministry of the body, in the ministry of the church together. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ working out now in His church. We talked about our union with Christ last week and you see it here again. Because we belong to Jesus, our ministry to one another is not ultimately about our wisdom or our insight or even our skill in proclamation. Our ministry is about Christ's grace for His people. And since the Lord Jesus cannot fail in anything that He would ever do, we have this encouragement to keep pressing on in the ministry that God has given to us. Jesus will surely present His people pure and blameless on the last day. Don't you love that passage in John's Gospel when Jesus says that His sheep belong to Him and no one will ever snatch them out of His hand? Don't you love that? I don't want to get snatched out of Jesus' hand. And Jesus promises, no one is taking you from Me. No one is taking you from Him. He will surely do His work. He will surely save His people to the very end. And how is He going to do that? Through the faithful ministry of His church. It's, it's mind-boggling on some level. Through brothers and sisters ministering to one another. So be encouraged, friends. Right now, in the life and ministry of Midtown Baptist, there is a twofold outworking of grace present among us. Right now, we are both participating in and receiving from the grace of Christ. Both participating in and receiving from. The Lord Jesus loves His church. He loves the church more than we do. And He loves His church so much that He blesses her with the most incredible gift of all, the Holy Spirit indwelling brothers and sisters who can speak the Word of God savingly and encouragingly until the last day. It's amazing. That brings us to verse 29. And the final feature of Christ-exalting ministry, the reality we embrace. 
We've seen the message we proclaim, the goal we pursue. The last feature here is the reality we embrace. You'll notice again in verse 29 that Paul speaks of himself. The the we shows up for one verse and then it fades out and Paul again speaks of I, his own personal ministry. Why, Why the change? Why does he go back to himself? Well, it's because he wants his example to encourage the Colossians in their ministry. He wants them to see that even as an apostle, he went through the same thing they're going to go through. That's why. The same reality they're going to face. And that reality, friends, has two parts. There's a two-part reality to ministry, and both of which we need to understand if we're going to be faithful in this work. The first reality is that ministry is hard. Verse 29, Paul says very honestly, for this I toil. That's kind of a tame translation. Paul's point is that he works really, really, really hard. He strives in the work of ministry. He struggles, he fights, he labors so that Christ's people will be rooted in the gospel. For this I toil, Paul says, and it's just hard work. Friends, if that was true for the Apostle Paul, how much more so will it be for us? Carrying out the work of ministry in the life of the church is hard work. Whether it's in your church, your home, your workplace, your neighborhood, or across the globe, ministry is a fight. As as Paul says in Ephesians, we're wrestling against not only the sin that dwells in our own hearts and in the hearts of others, but we're also wrestling against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. The evil one doesn't want us to succeed. It's hard work. I remember a faithful pastor telling me once, before we came down to plant uh, Midtown Baptist, a faithful older pastor said, brother, you're going to spend hours of effort in order to see inches of growth, and it's worth it. That was his counsel. Hours of effort for inches of growth, and it's worth it. And I think that's true. Just consider your own life, brothers and sisters. Do you tend to grow spiritually in a very fast or a very slow way? I grow slowly. If you grow fast, praise God, I grow slowly. So if that's true of our own hearts, how much more so would it be for others? It takes time. Ministry is hard. Growth takes time. It's often a struggle. So why should we expect anything different in our ministry to others? Being a minister of the gospel, it's hard work. But knowing that ahead of time can protect us from discouragement. I think that's why Paul puts this here, verse 29. When the work gets hard, we can think of Paul's example and remind ourselves, yes, this is how ministry works. It's not that I'm doing it wrong. It's not that I'm just not cut out for this. It's that ministry is hard work. So keep at it, friends. I I think that's why Paul puts 29 here. Keep at it. Keep having that conversation with your neighbor. Keep praying for that friend. Keep discipling your children. Keep investing in brothers and sisters in the church. Keep speaking the truth in love to that person who seems so hard-hearted. Keep at it, putting in the hours and hours of effort in order to see the inches and inches of growth. Keep at it. Yes, it's hard. It's a fight. But keep at it. That's what Paul's saying. This is true for the apostle. His example is a reminder to us that the ministry we've received is hard work. That's the first reality. The second reality completes the first. Ministry is hard, but Christ's strength is sufficient for the work. Notice the rest of verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. 
Friends, what an incredible provision from the Lord Jesus that He would provide the strength we need to carry out the work He commands us to do. It's a consistent theme of the Bible. God grants what He commands. Jesus says, work hard for the sake of the Gospel, and then He gives us the energy we need to do it. And lest we forget, Christ's strength has no limits. Christ's strength meets every need. Christ's strength crushed sin, conquered the grave, and reigns from heaven's throne. And it's that strength, Paul says, that is at work in each of us as we carry out the ministry of the Gospel. You see, friends, there's this astounding mystery that is connected with the mission of the church. We believe that God is sovereign and that God is right now bringing His purposes to pass. We believe that God will not fall short in saving His people. That He will definitely call to Himself people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. What's more, we believe God's promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That God's omnipotent strength will preserve the church until the final day. We believe God's love for His people is so strong that nothing could ever separate His people from that love. Not tribulation or distress or persecution or danger. All of this is the power of God at work in the Gospel. And yet, how is that unsurpassed, almighty power displayed in the life of the church? through the ministry of weak, frail, and dependent people like us. Like the Apostle before us, we labor to make Christ known, and as we do so, this striking reality becomes clear. It's not our strength, it's not our sufficiency that makes the mission go. It's God's strength in us and through us. And so in a way, the struggle itself is part of the mission. Our toil in the ministry is the very means that God uses to bring glory to His Son. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians that he boasts in his weakness, which is an insane thing to say. Why does he boast in his weakness? Because when we are weak, it's then that we become strong in the strength that God provides. And God receives the glory. So I'll say it again, friends. Keep at it. Keep at it. Carry on with the work of building up the church, trusting that the same power that raised the Lord Jesus from the dead is even now working in and through each of us for the good of the church. Do you think of yourself as a minister of the gospel? Well, after this morning, I hope and pray that you do. I pray that God would use the example of Paul's ministry to the Colossians to equip us for the ministry that he has given each of us to do. We have been entrusted with the gospel, brothers and sisters. So may we devote ourselves to this Christ-exalting ministry of making Him known. Amen. Let's pray.